Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to Focus on Albany. I have my friend with me today. Well, not with me. He's in Massachusetts, mm-hmm. Robert Maripol. And Robert, for anybody who's not uh, doesn't know, is the son of Ethel and Julius Rosenberg. And he's here to talk about uh, politics and the coronavirus. And we were just talking a couple of minutes before the show and how unsettling everything is. So, remember, you and I are the same age, and we grew up in the 60s, and we grew up with upward mobility, and there was this, then, then there was this student loan crisis, and now this. How do you, how do you comprehend it all? Well, you know, I... I... Uh, I've been thinking about that, you know, as a baby boomer and as 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 an, now an older person and reading about the resentment a lot of young people feel towards our generation. Um, you know, uh, we I think we re- we reap the benefits of so much and we're so incredibly privileged. And while there were plenty of us who fought against the, the growing inequality and, and, and tried to, to, to make the world a better place, there, the majority of our generation just acquired as much uh, as they could for themselves and their families and to hell with everybody else. And so while, you know, I, I cringe when I hear sort of anti-baby boomer stuff from younger generations, I, I think, you know, they've got a point. Uh, so I wish it were not the case. I wish it were not so difficult for young people, but I'm afraid, you know, this is just one more symptom of the fact that things are going downhill for them in general. Right. You know, the first day we're uh, burdened with debt. Now the prospect of them getting meaningful employment is almost, they're just gone. Um, mm-hmm. They're, they're, it's a, they're in, on a, not upward mobility, but on a downward spiral. What do you mm-hmm. think? I think I, I agree with you. I think that that's, that's a real problem. And I think that, you know, one of the, our economy, the, the, the whole way our economy is organized and the entire, and, and, and our and the social ethic that goes along with it, which is extreme individualism and, uh, and frantic consumption. Uh, and, you know, the system thrives on frantic consumption and huge numbers of transactions uh, where money is exchanged for things. Uh, and all of a sudden, we can't do that anymore. Uh, you know, we're a lot of us are stuck in our homes, and a lot of us, you know, aside from buying food, uh, we aren't mm-hmm. driving our cars, we aren't going to restaurants, we aren't going to movie theaters. We're just staying home, and the result is it's almost like the gears of the economy have have uh, you know stalled, and since there's no safety net. Everybody is just thrown out of work, and since 30% of Americans, or whatever that number is, I, I, I've seen it, it's 30 or 40% uh, percent, live paycheck to paycheck and couldn't come up with an extra $500 in, 
in a week's time, no matter even if they no matter what they did, I guess maybe if they robbed a bank. Uh, but, uh, you know, that all came together in in one swell swoop, you know, in one fell swoop, you know, all at once. Uh, and it's mm-hmm. it's an incredible shock. And I don't think it's going to reverse itself really quickly because no matter what our leaders tell us about reopening, a lot of us are going to go about this in the most cautious manner. And we're not going to be out at restaurants. We're not going to be spending our money. Uh, And so that's what we have now. The economic downturn we have now is, is going to be long lasting. Uh, And of course, if our leaders make mistakes and reopen too soon and set up a second wave, and even if without them doing that, we do have a second wave as the fall comes along, uh, depending, mm-hmm. on, you know, again, the virus is so unknown. We, we, we just don't know what's coming down the pike. Uh, mm-hmm. that, if that happens as well, uh, the, the economy can, will go down again. Uh, so you put all that together, and it is, it, it is a horrible situation. And, and what's sort of sad about it is that it, to some degree it was avoidable. Uh, but, uh, it, you know, and it has a lot to do with governmental power uh, and secrecy um, and putting money before people. Uh, and you put, you put those together and we've, we've, we really, uh, as a species, uh, as a society, we, we've shot ourselves. Um, uh, uh, that doesn't mean that we're all equally responsible. I, you know, one of the things that always bothers me is, you know, uh, when people say, well, everybody's to blame. Or it's just general lack of political will, you know, those kind of statements, because those kind of statements, I think, operate not as explanations, but as excuses, because the reality is, if everybody's to blame, that's kind of like saying no one's to blame. Uh, And the reality is there are blameworthy forces. There are blameworthy entities. And and those those people could make a big difference. Uh, And I'll give you an example in New York. Okay, Uh, you know, everybody knows that that Trump, well, everybody, I would imagine that most of the people listening to this program uh, uh, know that Trump is an ignoramus, uh, a crook, a homophobe, a sexual predator, um, and who's interested primarily in money and uh, in getting reelected. And he's, you know, his actions and plus, he's totally unco- incompetent to actually do the work that's necessary to come up with a national response to this in an effective way. People know that. On the other hand, that's contrasted with, with Mario Cuomo's daily updates, which are factual, science-based, and, and, and just, you know, everybody's looking, oh, my God, you know, what, wouldn't it be nice if we had him doing these national briefings instead of Trump? Mm-hmm. But. Mm-hmm. What they don't realize, what is, what is missed in that, is that compare New York to California. San Francisco and the counties around San Francisco shut down one week 
before New York did. And as a result, San Francisco has had six deaths. That's it. In the entire city, in the entire city, there are six deaths in San Francisco, even though it hit there before it hit in New York. New York waited an extra week. Uh, um, You know, Cuomo, and that week probably doubled the number of people who died in New York. Uh, And that's, and people aren't realizing that. Uh, You know, the same is true in New York City. Uh, De Blasio, who I like in many ways, uh, was reluctant to close the New York City public school system. He resisted it for several days until the teachers refused to come in and teach. And then Mm -hmm. the system was shut down. How many deaths were caused by not acting quickly enough? And in in all cases, what Cuomo was thinking of and what de Blasio was thinking of, de Blasio said, you know, this is going to hurt so many working parents. You know, how can I do this to all these people? Uh, He was thinking of the people. But he was thinking in economic terms, not in disease terms. And Mm -hmm. because we let economic terms invade our thinking about this, um, it ended up causing a lot more deaths. And that's really the key to all this. Um, Are we going to focus on the public health aspects of this and deal with it until it's taken care of to the satisfaction of the public health experts? Or are we going to let people with economic interests say, well, there has to be some sort of balancing. We'll never get out of the woods as long as there's the economic factors infiltrate our plans for dealing with the virus. Um, And, and so you know, it's, 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 it's systemic. The very nature of our system is what's making us so vulnerable. And the fact that we are sort of the kingpins of that system, the richest nation on earth, the, the, the most frantic set of consumption, um, all of that has generated uh, – that's why the U.S. has more cases than any other country. It's why we have more deaths than any other country. And it's why that trend is going to continue. So, you know, we can blame Trump, and I do blame Trump. Trump is largely responsible. Uh, it's just a totally failed response, uh, and it's, it's, it's criminal, uh, uh, criminal failure. Uh, but he's not the only one. It's, it's not just about an individual. It's also systemic. Yeah. What I'd like like to talk about is, of course, I lost my train of thought listening mm-hmm. to you, is, you know, you, you talk about Trump, you dislike him, and you have personal reasons why you dislike him, but there are still people in this country that think he walks on water. So, mm-hmm. uh, no matter what you tell them, they're still going to support, and they're still going to vote for him in November. So, and I think, uh, across, you know, throughout the United States, I think his um, his ratings are, are in, 
as bad as we might think they are. You know, and and so and they then, have been dropping recently again. Okay. You know, they okay. they have. You know, I mean, I I agree with you that he's going to. You know, if uh, if this was election were fair, um, and honest, and everybody who has you know who wanted to vote could vote, um, and it was set up in that kind of fashion, you know, he'd get at least forty percent of the vote. Uh, uh, but uh, I don't. He wouldn't get a majority. He wouldn't even get close to a majority, in my opinion. But forty percent is a lot of people, and and you know, I wishful thinking is a very very powerful delusion. Uh, and people don't want the virus to be bad. They don't want to have to be stuck in their homes. They want it to be over quickly. They want it to go back to normal. So anybody who's up there saying, I'm going to make it back to normal and here's the way it's going to happen and, and all these other people are blocking me, that person is going to get a certain amount of support. But mm-hmm. it's very hard to counteract that all across America, you know, grandma and grandpa are dying. Uh, and if you're a Trump supporter and he's telling you this is no big deal and your grandma and grandpa die of it, you might think twice. Uh, and mm-hmm. enough of those people might think twice that I think, I think this virus and the situation has really hurt him. Uh, he's going to try his best to squirm out of it. And he's got an extremely weak opponent, and who knows yeah. what the election is going to be like, and where where yeah. the, exactly the economy will be. All of those things, but and he's got the ability to cheat. And if he loses, he might say, "This is a phony election. I didn't really lose, and refuse to leave office." I mean, all of those things are possible with this guy. Okay, but that said, mm-hmm. I think what happened in Wisconsin on Tuesday last you know, last Tuesday was Mm -hmm. a very, very powerful indicator that the idea that they're going to be able to suppress votes um, uh, in order to steal the election is, is it could backfire on them. Uh, You know, you know, when I'll explain when I, when I'm talking about Wisconsin, in case there's some listeners who, don't know what I'm talking about. Uh, you know, the primary from hell was held in Wisconsin last Tuesday. Um, right. People had to wear masks. Most of the polling places were closed. There was lots of absentee ballots. The whole thing, you know, the Democratic governor tried to get it postponed. Uh, the Republicans refused. They went to the Wisconsin Supreme Court, where the majority of Republicans said the election had to go forward. And one of the reasons they did it was because there was a very critical election taking place for a new Supreme Court justice. Uh, And uh, there was a liberal Democrat running against a conservative Republican endorsed by Trump and endorsed by uh, um, uh, the former governor of Wisconsin, Scott Walker. Um, And they felt that if they held the election under these conditions, it would work to the benefit of the conservative. Uh, and Wisconsin is an extremely purple state. Its, its electorate is divided 50-50. Um, and so they held their election, uh, and it was a travesty. 
Uh, and the Democratic candidate won with 55% of the vote. Uh, that, yes, it's true, there were fewer votes cast in general, uh, but the Democrat, the liberal Democrat, won by 175,000 votes in a state that Trump carried by 27,000 votes um, under those conditions. So their idea that, you know, the Republicans would come out, but the Democrats would stay away. It didn't work. I'm not sure it's going to work. Uh, the reality is, is Republican voters tend to be more elderly and the elderly tend to be more cautious. And if there's problems, yes, yeah, some of them will file absentee ballots and some of them will, will, but a lot of them are just going to stay home. Uh, and that seems to be what happened in Wisconsin. And if Trump and his buddies are counting on that happening in November, they may be in for a very big surprise. You know, you, you talk about Trump having a uh, weak opponent. I cannot even comprehend how they could pick Joe Biden as the uh, potential nominee. What do you think? Because well, you and I, I think- have talked. You and I have talked in the past about there's no way that um, a, a Democrat could lose in 2020, but they picked somebody who's really weak. And yep. if, if this, that's absolutely if this, that's absolutely right. Uh, he's very weak. He's very uninspiring. Um, but uh, I think in this crisis period, he does have one thing going for him. He seems safe. You know, when people get scared, they look for ports in the storm. I think one of the things that Bernie realized, you know, after Super Tuesday and when the virus hit, that he could not get any traction. He couldn't get around in campaign. He couldn't do his rallies. He couldn't do the kinds of things that to mobilize people. And, and plus the fact that he's a, you know, a 77 year old, you know, a 70 something year old man with an underlying condition, maybe with a married to a doctor who maybe is telling him, you know, you really shouldn't be out on the campaign trail. Uh, um, You put all that together uh, and the realization that, you know, people look to Biden as safe and they're going to vote for him when they're frightened. Um, that's, you know, so we, we got to, that, that's the way it uh, I think that's the way it, it turned out. And uh, we're stuck with Biden. Um, and um, I, I think that in a fair election, given the fact that I don't think the economy is going to be in great shape. And I think the virus is still going to be with us in some form or another. And I think, Mm -hmm. you know, tens of thousands, perhaps more than a hundred thousand Americans will have died from it by then. I think there's still a, there's a good chance that, that Trump's going to lose because of all that. Uh, But if anybody is capable of losing this election to Trump, it's Biden. Mm Mm-hmm. Uh, it, it, it just yeah. boggles my mind. It really does. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's it's a it's a sad thing that we've come to that, uh, uh, you know, that we have to choose between uh, 
a nothing, a, a nothing who have, uh, who is is to some degree, I mean, you know, uh, politically really environmentally dangerous um, and in bed with all the big corporations. Uh, we have to choose between a dull guy like that uh, and and you know a narcissistic an, a narcissistic uh, psychopathic crazy man. Uh, it's it's we're it's it's really come down to that and it's it's it is a dreadful situation it's it's hard to be optimistic uh about you know human survival given the condition that we've come to at this point uh that you know the i i think all of us are focused so much on the virus it's really hard to see beyond that um uh but lurking in the background are all the incredible environmental problems uh, and economic problems throughout the world that, that, you know, they haven't gone away and they're going to be there. In fact, perhaps, I mean, you know, the only benefit that all of this shutdown has done is it's cut down on air pollution and it's cut down on people on countries, carbon footprint and all of that stuff is, has given us a little bit of environmental breathing space. How much, I don't know whether it's given us an extra year or two to correct things. I certainly hope that's the case. But of course, when we get to the other side of this, if the system is still basically the same, the effort to go back to normal is just going to ramp up the carbon footprint and everything else. And we're going to go back to where we were, which you know, it seems like ancient history and we've forgotten uh, that, you know, an area the size of Maryland burned in Australia uh, this January. Uh, firestorms, uh, you know, clouds, fire clouds caused by the storms that uh, um, are just a phenomenon we've never seen in our, our history before. And, and if we think those firestorms aren't coming everywhere, there is large forested areas. If we think they're not coming to the Northeastern United States sometime in the next 20, 30, 40 years, we're fooling ourselves. Um, so that, that lurks in the background and Biden isn't going to do a damn thing about that. But still given the dreadful situation we find ourselves in, you know, I will. I didn't vote for Clinton four years ago. I voted green in Massachusetts. Of course, in Massachusetts, Clinton won anyway, and we knew she was going to win. So, and really, it was not a big deal. This year, in Massachusetts, uh, Biden's going to win. That's clear. Um, and he's going to win in New York too. That's clear. Uh, but uh, I think I'm going to pull the lever for Biden, even though I'm find him to a large degree, you know, repulsive, uh, just to get rid of Trump's face on TV every day. Uh, but I'm, I'm going to do that with, with no illusion that I'm solving the underlying problems, uh, that we have. Those underlying problems are going to persist. And unfortunately they're going to get worse. Is, uh, Howie Hawkins on the ballot in your state for president? Uh, who? Howard Hawkins. Howard Hawkins. Yeah. Is that he's green? green is it, yeah. I, you know, he probably will be. He probably will be. And I, you know, uh, 
my feeling about the Green Party is, is I've followed them, I've supported them, I voted for them a couple, you know, in 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 a, at least two of the last three elections. Uh, but I don't think they're going anywhere. You know, I think they're the same people talking to each other, and and so I'm not sure what the point is. I mean, I know that I could vote for him, uh, and. It, you know, they, there would be one more person voting for the Green Party, but I think that's mm-hmm. all it would be. Um, and I might, I might change my mind and get so disgusted with Biden between now and then that I would do that. But the reality is, is that uh, Trump is so dangerous and so crazy. Uh, I think we really need to get rid of him. You know, we need to elect. You know, replacing him with Biden would be a a good thing, even though. Uh, it will be a bad thing. <laughs> if you understand what I'm saying, I, I'm trying not to contradict myself here. I certainly understand what you're saying. And, and the fact that we, uh, it looks like it's going to be Biden and Trump. Mm. In the wake of all this chaos and the deaths and the sickness and the dislocation, how we wound up with these two is beyond anything I could even mm-hmm. dream of. It's mm-hmm. crazy. I remember an, an election here in Massachusetts years ago. I think it was in the 1980s where there were two candidates running against each other, and they were both so bad that <laughs> instead of talking about the lesser of two evils, people talked about the evil of two lessers. Uh, That's that's what we have facing us in November, the evil of two lessers. Oh, I think really, I don't think Biden is evil in the way that Trump is evil. Uh, But uh, he is, he's no one who's going to solve the basic underlying problems and those, and we're running out of time to solve them. So, you know, that's a, we're in a very precarious state. I think one of the things the virus showed us, you know, everything seemed to be going along so smoothly. And, you know, of course, it wasn't smooth for the underclass. I mean, you know, the, 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 the bottom half of the population living the paycheck to paycheck, the gig economy with no health insurance and scrambling just to get by every day of the year, um, that you know, it wasn't good for them, but for a lot of people, it was in pretty good shape. And then all of a sudden this hit and we saw that it was all a house of cards that, you know, somebody pulled a couple of cards out from the bottom and the whole thing is just collapsing. And that's the other Mm -hmm. thing we have to understand that uh, a lot of people have talked about what we're going through as the new normal, uh, and and that's a mistake because there is no new normal. Uh, as things unravel, we will discover new problems as the ripple effect occurs. And we don't right. know. We don't know whether they're going to be basic in, uh, interruptions in the food chain. Uh, in, mm-hmm. in, you know, uh, we don't know, uh, you know, how everything – what could be what could what could break down next? We just don't know. Uh, and so we live 
in a precarious situation of uncertainty. And uh, that, of course, raises everybody's tension. And, of course, ultimately it gives rise to trying to blame, you know, to find a reason. You know, let's blame the Chinese. Let's attack the Chinese. Let's, let's start attacking each other. Let's start fighting over the scraps that are left. All of those things increase social unrest, uh, go along with this. And, and I think we're just at the start of this. Uh, hopefully, we'll get through it. Hopefully, uh, there will be a rational response. Uh, I am encouraged, living here in Massachusetts, by this consortium of Northeast governors who I think are going to act in a manner that's science-based and rational and won't allow themselves, hopefully, to let economic issues infect their decision-making, though I fear they will, but probably to a lesser degree than with Trump. Uh, That means we here in the Northeast may be a little better protected. Uh, But who knows? I'm keeping my fingers crossed about that one. You know, I think that people are going to be looking for a scapegoat. And, you know, you lived through something like that yourself. And mm-hmm. they, want, they want an easy answer to this complex problem. And mm-hmm. it's not going to be easy. Everything overnight changed. It's like watching a horror movie. It's like watching something on TV where you think, mm-hmm. oh, my God, I can't believe I'm looking at this. I'm going to get another bowl of popcorn, you know? So it, it's, it's so frightening. It's so it is. It is. Frightening. Yep, and it I is, think and it's, 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 and it's everywhere. Right. It's um, all over the world. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, and we do not good. have governments, and we don't have governments we trust, Gilly, you know, just because the Chinese are saying it's totally contained now, well, maybe it is, maybe it isn't. Uh, you know, uh, there's the, the, I think that the resistance of the federal government for any sort of national testing program is because if they do national tests, they'll discover that there are more people who are sick than, and died than, they, than they're reporting. And they don't want to do that. They want to keep the numbers down. So, uh, and they're going to be Republican governors in states, in rural states, and maybe even places like Texas, who are going to open things up uh, to, because they care about people. I mean, because they care about money more than they care about people. Um, and there will be more deaths, but there will be fewer tests, and they'll be underreporting. And the people in the rural areas will be told to blame all the people in New York City who transmitted this to you. All those people with different color skins and different politics, they're the ones that have caused this, not Trump's inaction. Uh, And so there is going to be a lot of blame uh, going around. And but the problem with the people doing that is that, again, they're going to be shooting themselves because everybody around them is just going to be getting sick. Uh, and there's no way, there's no way out of it for them. 
You know, the only way out of it is to listen 100% to what the public health experts are saying. And to do that would be economically devastating for the entire country for a long period of time. And the people who benefit the most from our system will find that intolerable. And they control the laws and they control the courts and they control the, the legislatures. And they're going to fight for their own benefit, and the rest of us, unfortunately, if that happens, are going to get screwed. What do you think of Fauci? Well, I think Fauci is a a knowledgeable public health expert with um, who's making his opinions based on science and facts, um, but. Anybody who's been in that high government bureaucratic position uh, since the Reagan presidency has got to be a very highly political animal. He's got to know how to thread the needle between pleasing his boss and doing his job. And that's what he's trying to do now. You know, I think he is buttering up as much as possible. I watched him interviewed last night on TV where he was asked about, you know, is Trump's idea of reopening things even before May 1st, is that a good idea? He managed to dodge that question up, down, and sideways. He didn't want to say anything that would be negative to Trump because he's got to thread a needle. Now, that said, he's probably the best person up there. Uh, But, uh, you know, he's got to play politics, too, because he's dealing with Trump. That's and so, you know, so we know. I mean, for instance, there was this big deal about uh, a memo that came in late January that Trump ignored about the you know, warning of the virus. And Fauci was asked, well, you know, uh, wouldn't it have been better if he had followed the advice of that memo immediately? Wouldn't we be in much better shape today? And Fauci's response was, uh, the first time I had a meeting with Trump and explained the situation to him, he agreed to follow my instructions. Okay. What Fauci didn't say was that it took three extra weeks to get that meeting because Trump was ignoring the situation. In other words, once again, Fauci was spinning to please his boss, even as he was trying to do the best by all of us. Now, You know, when all of this is over and we're looking back on this, Fauci may come in for a lot of criticism that he should have stood up to Trump more strongly and threatened to publicly resign uh, if if his instructions weren't followed. But, you know, the the counter argument to that is, is, well, you know, if the person in charge leaves and less competent people take over, it could leave us in worse shape and more people could die. So I can understand and sympathize with the needle that Fauci is trying to thread. But wow. it doesn't mean that he's above criticism. Wow. So, you know, this is this is going to have long-term effects. And you, you, you've created a foundation for mm. children whose parents have been politically ostracized. So, you know, there's going to be a lot of adults that might not survive this, and maybe their Mm -hmm. children will. What do you think Mm -hmm. is going to happen to 
younger generation as far as well, I think, the mortality rate? Well, you know, I don't, you know, it, it is, the virus is, is, is so unknown. It seems that where people are really dying in large numbers now all across the country, and it's not really being reported, is in nursing homes, uh, in, you know, right. in these facilities where people are, are crammed together. Um, and, uh, uh, and so, you know, it's very, it's, and, and older and, and, and more vulnerable. Uh, and so a lot of, you know, the older generation is going to be removed a certain percentage of them, uh, you know, whether, but I don't think that's going to, and, and for younger people, it's just, it's, they're not going to be as strongly affected, uh, it seems like, but it doesn't mean that, you know, uh, it's going to be good for them because the economy is going to be in, in tatters. Uh, um, Mm -hmm. And of course, you know, one of the things I regret in my own life, this is kind of an aside is that, uh, you know, I'm the younger son of F1 Julius Rosenberg. And of course I have strong feelings about Trump because of Trump's connection to Roy Cohn, who was one of the principal engineer engineers of my mother's execution. So I, 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 uh, I feel very strongly about that, but foundation that I created to help the children of targeted activists, the Rosenberg fund, uh, that's, you know, helping young people, but, uh, we as a foundation also have the same problems. Everybody else does. We have to raise money from the general public. Well, the general public has other things on its mind. Uh, the foundation is not considered an essential business. So, you know, we're the, the three staff people. I'm retired now. Uh, my daughter runs the foundation. Uh, the three staff people are all working from home. Uh, uh, we, we help the children of targeted activists by connecting them with arts-oriented programs and summer camps and things like that. Who knows whether any of those programs are going to be functioning? So figuring out how to continue to help people and how to continue to do our work, and how to continue to get money in order to do it. I mean, that's like a triple whammy, uh, and it's difficult. So that's what I mean that, you know, when, that, that everything's kind of unraveling, and we have yet to see the, the total result. But I think the bottom line for young people, even if uh, they're not, as, as, you know, the smaller percentage of them die or get really sick from this, is that this is bad news for them, and it's not going to get better anytime soon, even though it may be impacting older people more strongly. And, of course, mm. I haven't even talked about the whole disproportionate, you know, the class and race issues involved here that, that are also very potent. Well, <laughs> you have this for – you have to uh... – my fault. Why don't you do it? Yeah. Why don't well. You talk uh, okay. Well, you know, I think that we we big surprise. The underserved communities of color are the ones with the highest death rates. They're the ones who are, you know, we we in in some ways there are two viruses. And what I mean by that is or two pandemics. There's the impact of people like me 
I'm retired. I, I don't need to go to work. Uh, I can stay in my home. Uh, I'm relatively privileged. Uh, and that is true for, uh, you know, professional people who can work from home. But if you're a poor person and have to work in a factory or have to work in a food store or, you know, and those are disproportionately people of color who are doing that, they are much at much greater risk than I am, even if they're younger and healthier than I am, because I can stay home. I can stay away from other people. They can't. Uh, they they right. have to put food on their table and they can't do it. And so they are uh, they are disproportionately affected. And of course, government and Trump, he doesn't care about those people. Uh, as far as he concer- is concerned, if more of them die, well, that, that's no problem for him. Of course, you know, since our system requires frantic consumption from as many people as possible, uh, it actually does. Even, even their deaths hurt the system, but just only a little bit. Um, so, so there you have it. Uh, that's the, the fix we are in. Um, and I wish I could say I was optimistic. You know, we're now beginning to see as, uh, some of the biggest hit places are sort of plateauing this line light at the end of the tunnel, light at the end of the tunnel. Well, you know, I'm not sure we see the light at the end of the tunnel. I, I think that's, you know, as I said earlier in our conversation, uh, wishful thinking is a very powerful delusion. Uh, and I think this light at the end of the tunnel is probably at this point mostly wishful thinking. Well, time will tell. This is, uh, this is going to be a very interesting time in the history yep. of the United States. So... Mm-hmm. Um, You know, let's talk again, like right before the election or right after the election and and share our thoughts about what is transpiring. So you've been listening. You've been. Excuse me. You've been listening to Robert Maripol, and this is focused on Albany. If you like this show, like us on Facebook, follow us on Twitter, download on your smartphone. Subscribe to iTunes if you have a comment about the show. Hashtag focus on Albany. <laughs> Robert, thank you so much. Uh, stay well, and we'll talk and soon. And you too. Bye. Okay, good Everybody. enough, Cynthia. Thank you. Thank you. Bye. Bye.